0: Please stand with me, if you are able, for a reading from God's Holy Word. Today's scripture reading is from John 1, 6 through 8. Please read all three verses with me. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kelsey. Good morning. Happy Advent. My name is Brad, and, uh, and I'm one of the, the pastors here as well. And uh, wow, do we have a gifted church. Thank you for sharing your gifts, and I'm saying that to the musicians and to the tech people and to the people who are uh, serving and leading our kids and to everyone who's responsible for uh, the beauty that's uh, gone up in the room and all of the smells that are coming out of the kitchen. Uh, It is good to be a part of this thing. we have spent, uh, we've begun uh, to spend our advent in uh, what's called the prologue of the Gospel of John. Um, the, the, the word before, or the word before the story. And uh, today, verses uh, six through eight in John's prologue. And as I was reading them, it reminded me, uh, or I was thinking, uh, I used to wonder why uh, people in old time photos, you know, the old like tin type photos. Why are they all so angry? Um, why are they all, you know, you look at those old photos and they're all frowning. And uh, it wasn't until I realized uh, some time ago that for those old photos, you had to sit for like 20 minutes to an hour for it to be exposed. So you're tired by the time, you know, the thing gets done. Uh, my point being is, that uh, the concept of a photobomb was highly, uh, well, it's a, it's a concept that nobody who ever sat for an hour to get an old monochrome picture would ever think of, right? You could ruin a family by photobombing a monochrome picture. But um, just, just for definition, a photobomb is when someone else is taking a picture and you appear awkwardly in the background picking your teeth or something like that. Or uh, you actually intentionally jump in front of the camera to, uh, uh, it, to crash the party of someone who's trying to get, you know, a good photo. And, uh, of course, this only, this only happens nowadays Um, because the average American takes a 1,000 photos a year on their camera. I I read that the average millennial takes 5,000 photos a year on their camera. So it's no big deal to delete one or 200 of them that somebody has photobombed. If you're reading uh, through the Gospel of John, through this prologue, It's this incredibly poetic beginning to John's account of Jesus's life, this cosmological description of Jesus who is God's word made into flesh to dwell among us. See, God, the God who participated in creation, Uh, the, the personified let there be light and become to be a man. And uh, right in the middle of this incredible description, three verses about a guy named John. Almost like somebody's little brother jumped into the picture really quick and then disappeared. And you get the idea, or you could get the idea, that the whole thing is kind of a gag, like uh, maybe somebody put this in later, until you read the rest of the Gospels. There's three other accounts of Jesus' birth and his life, and you find out that John, later identified as John the Baptist, plays a prominent role in everybody's story. Everybody talks about this guy named John the Baptist um, when they talk about Jesus. So why is he there? What, what is the purpose of, this, uh, uh, the, of the reoccurring but abbreviated accounts of not Jesus but another preacher? a second cousin of Jesus, nonetheless, and a teacher who we are told very clearly, more than once, was not the Messiah. He was not the light. And so why is he included? The writer of John says that he came to bear witness. And that's a huge theme in the Gospel of John. He likes to use this Greek word uh, where we get our word for martyr, marturion, martyrion. Uh, which is the Greek word to describe a witness or, or a testimony. And, and John, uh, used, the gospel writer John uses that word um, to describe what John the Baptist does, what a Samaritan woman at a well does, what God's own words in the Old Testament do, all of them giving testimony uh, about who Jesus is. In fact, John is... One of the most explicit gospels, late in his gospel in chapter 20, he is very clear about why he says, all of this witness so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John twenty uh, There isn't uh, a person in this room or a person who's uh, watching us on a stream right now who doesn't have someone who led them or told them the story or gave a testimony and a witness to them about following Christ. Uh, All of us, somehow, whether it's a story about how you came to Jesus and who was involved, or maybe it's just how you've stumbled into earshot of this message this morning because you're still on a journey But each of us is on a journey, and we are currently on a trajectory either towards or away from the God who loves us and spoke creation into existence and sent his son for us. And Jesus says in the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be the witnesses. Every believer is called to be a witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that others might believe, and in believing, they might have life in his name. So let's take a few minutes. We'll look at the ways that John the Baptist demonstrates what it means to be a witness. Three different kinds of witness that John provides to the identity of Jesus. Uh, As a front runner, as an eyewitness, and as a foil. Let's look at what it means to be a front-runner. The name Galileo might be familiar to most of us. His story uh, may not be as familiar. Galileo Galilei uh, lived in Italy in the 15 and 1600s. He was an engineer, an astronomer, and the forerunner of the modern scientific method, or one of the forerunners of the modern scientific method. He was a champion of heliocentrism. Uh, To be exact, Copernican heliocentrism. This simply means that uh, the evidence that he was gathering made, led him to believe that the earth orbits around the sun along with the rest of the planets. Um, And that that helped him understand and explain gravity and acceleration and velocity and all of these uh, concepts of physics. This was, however, this belief in heliocentrism uh, tr- centrism got him in trouble. He got in trouble with the Pope. He got in trouble with the Spanish Inquisition. Because even though this, uh, th- this theory was consistent with the evidence and compatible with Scripture, um, at least the way that we understand it now... No one in Galileo's time who was in a position of religious authority could conceive that the book of Genesis described anything but a creation and a cosmos that revolved around earth and humanity. And so he was ultimately tried. He was forced to recant. And he lived out his days in uh, house arrest, even though we know he was telling the truth. He was a forerunner. He was the first one there. He was a discoverer whose testimony the world was not quite ready to hear. And if you know anything about the story of John the Baptist, then some of the contours of that story sound familiar. Uh, we're told that, that John knew that he had discovered who Jesus was before anyone else. Uh, that ultimately, uh, John's insistence that Jesus was the Messiah uh, that his refusal to recant in that uh, persistence, his refusal to back down in his confrontation of powerful people uh, led to his arrest and ultimately his execution. Uh, we're told that John knew Jesus when he saw him. In fact, we're told he knew who Jesus was even before he was born. Luke 141 tells us that uh, John leapt in his mother's womb when Mary came near, pregnant with Jesus. He was a forerunner. The prophet Isaiah says in uh, chapter 40, uh, he he foretells that God would send a forerunner, that someone would come ahead of the Messiah in the spirit of the prophet Elijah and uh, prepare the way. And this was supposed to be one of the things that people were looking out for to know if the Messiah was at hand, the forerunner. And later in our gospel, John says himself, this is uh, John 23, uh, John 1, 23 to 27, John says directly that this is how he understood himself. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. So John is looking for and knowing uh, before the others that Christ is coming. And he'll recognize him when he sees him. Everyone needs to discover Jesus in a way that answers their questions that addresses their doubts and their needs, the needs that they perceive uh, in their own lives and in their souls about what uh, uh, and who God is. And that means that everyone needs a forerunner. Everyone needs somebody who got there before them to point out the way. Highlighting their own discoveries and the answers to the questions that they had, that they have found. Uh, we need somebody to be uh, declaring out loud answers to the questions that our hearts have about who God is and what the scripture says about Jesus. Uh, for some of us, that's, that's going to be a very intellectual pursuit if we are uh, scientific or... Uh, 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 We're we're skeptics and we have real questions about the validity of Jesus' claims in the scriptures. Um, There is a a group of young men that gather at our house every other week. We gather twice a month. We call it Boys Club. It's 6th to 12th grade boys. We usually uh, have a fire and a crazy game and a snack. And then we're going through this book called The Case for Christ. And each week we read and address some, some um, question or uh, challenge to the validity of the scripture or to who Jesus is. And I would recommend it. Uh, if your questions are, um, are technical, um, the case for Christ is excellent. I'd recommend it if you know someone uh, like that who you haven't bought a Christmas present for yet. Uh, for some of us, this will be a much more personal endeavor, uh, connected to questions that we have about ourselves and who we are, and uh, who God might uh, say we are. Our youth group also has a, a, gal, a girl's Bible study that meets every week, and they're going through a book called Gospel Identity, Discovering Who You Really Are. And in uh, I, would, I would recommend this if uh, your, your questions about Jesus is, how does this affect my um, self-understanding? How does this affect my self-esteem? How does this affect my security and who uh, God says that I am? Uh, this, this work, gospel identity. Um, again, someone leading the young women in our midst who got there before them and said, let me tell you, uh, the answers that I have discovered for the questions of my own heart. Who was your forerunner? Or who are you looking to now as a forerunner? If you have questions, have you identified someone you're asking? Someone who will point you uh, towards answers and towards Jesus. Uh, those, uh, someone whose questions you also have. Is there someone that you are now uh, leading, talking with, and pointing towards Jesus? John was sent uh, to be a forerunner. We also hear a lot in the Gospel of John about his testimony. Defense attorney Brian Stevenson originally published a memoir in 2014, it became a Hollywood movie in 2019 uh, called Just Mercy. It's the story is uh, about the exoneration of an innocent man on death row. And I would recommend the book and the movie. Uh, but the book is excellent. Uh, the story is, or in this, uh, in this story, uh, Evidence that ultimately gives Walter Johnny D. McMillan his freedom hinges on the testimony of several key witnesses. Uh, first, exposing a false witness who profited from his perjury in an original, um, in a, in an original court case that put Johnny D. into jail, and then. Uh, convincing an eyewitness who actually could uh, corroborate Johnny's alibi to come forward and testify, even though he had been intimidated for years and threatened. In Jesus' day and in Jewish society, much like our day, our own society, legal testimony of reliable witnesses is required in a judicial case uh, to make to make a judgment about a crime or about a claim as early as the book of deuteronomy in, in chapter 19 the scripture says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established and this, the same thing was true for a uh, historic claim or an, uh, an account of an event. For it to be credible and to be believed, like in our own day, it needed to be corroborated by two or three reliable witnesses. Our passage this morning says that John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. We can read the explicit content of that eyewitness account from John the Baptist just a few verses later. In John 1, 32 to 34, he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, describing the moment that he baptized Jesus, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Many commentators actually look at that passage and the parallels in the other gospels and point out that there's more than one witness in that event. In fact, there are three corroborating witnesses uh, in the passage. The spirit that remained on Christ, the one who sent John to baptize God the Father himself, and John himself, all uh, agreeing that this is the Son of God. There were a lot of things going on in the moment that that John baptized Jesus, but one of them was a positive identification. On the testimony of three witnesses, Jesus is the Son of God. People need to hear what God has done in your life. You have experienced answered prayer? Tell that story. Have you experienced freedom from addiction or an extended victory in your battle against a besetting sin? Tell that story. Has the gospel facilitated renewal in a relationship in your life? Tell that story. People, People need to hear your story. They need to hear accounts of God at work in the lives of people around them. Yes, People need to hear and believe the content of the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death in our place. Uh, He rose again in a resurrection and defeated death on our behalf. People need to hear and believe these things. But what makes people stop and listen is the stories of God's work in real people's lives and the way that he is still at work today. So John uh, comes to give a, in the, in this, in the, the words of John, John's gospel, a legal testimony, an eyewitness testimony about who Jesus is. But he also comes uh, to be a foil. One of the most interesting things about doing a wedding as the officiant, which is uh, more often my role than any other role in a wedding these days, um, the officiant is the official and legal keeper of the legal documents. So it's my job to uh, have the, the marriage license in my possession and sign it as the officiant only after I have truly officiated a wedding and to find uh, two witnesses to sign the, the document. That's in California, I'm not sure where you come from. But uh, in California, a marriage license needs the signature of a bride, a groom, an officiant, and two witnesses. And uh, it's funny because there's no description of who those people need to be. I often like to honor somebody in the wedding party and say, hey, best man, you should come sign this thing. But apparently, anybody who was there and witnessed it can sign it. And sometimes that's like 200 people, right? So you just kind of bump into somebody and say, hey, were you here? Are you the bride or the groom? Okay, sign right here. And it's legal. That's all it takes. And I actually, I've often thought uh, that, uh, that you know, we, we talk about the, the wedding party, but I've often thought that that... Um, but that's the purpose of having a wedding party. Yes, we kind of ceremonially put some people ceremonially put some people up front, and we say, "These are the witnesses. These are the folks who are going to hold uh, these people up in their prayers, and uh, and hold them to their vows before God." But we've also dressed them up and paraded them up as a backstop. Um, so that we can tell very clearly who the bride and groom is and who is not, right? We, it's color-coded. You look at the women, you say, not the bride, not the bride, not the bride, she's the bride. And uh, so the wedding party, in some ways, is a foil, right? They're the backdrop against the brilliance of the happy couple and the, the covenant that they're about to make. And John the Baptist is a foil, that magnifies the brilliance of who Jesus is. In John chapter 3, John actually literally says it that way. He says, uh, this is uh, 3 verse 28, he says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine. This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Folks, not the groom. uh, Our passage says uh, more simply, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And Jesus spins it uh, even a little bit differently when he says in Luke chapter seven, I tell you among those born of women, there was no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus gives John the Baptist the, the greatest honor. He declares him the greatest man ever born of a woman, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David. And yet he says, John is going to pale in comparison to what Jesus can do for those who enter his kingdom. A big part of John the Baptist's job was to not be Jesus, but to point people to the real Messiah. And we can learn a lot from this. I wonder how often... I have prevented other people from turning to God because I thought I was the only one that could help them. I wonder how often we have failed to see prayers answered because we haven't prayed. Instead, we've tried to fix everything ourselves. I wonder how often our anxiety and our stress would be relieved if we didn't think that everything was up to us, if we actually realized that there is a Messiah. There are accusations in Scripture against some of those other great men. Specifically, Moses and David are both confronted at one point or another for having a Messiah complex, but never John the Baptist. While some scholars say that as many as 200,000 people may have been baptized by John and his followers, he was unequivocal. I am not the Christ. And now that I have your attention... I will point you out who He is. I will point Him out to you, um, and it'll be obvious when you see Him. At Advent each year, we begin our services by lighting a candle, and these Advent candles are symbolic of our anticipation of the arrival of the light of the world and His return. And... um, are reminding for ourselves that we have been called to be witnesses to the light. Leading others to answer their questions and address their doubts about Jesus. Giving credibility to the claims of Christ by telling the stories of how he has worked in our lives and in the lives of people that we love. And by reminding ourselves that uh, for people to Uh, encounter and behold and believe in Jesus contrary to our instincts we must decrease so that he can increase